It's been a slow process because um, as soon, when I started playing in bands, I sort of had already uh, thrown caution to the wind in terms of how a violin can be played. Um, and I think at the at, so the first in the first years that she would come to me play with various bands, and then with Mount Zion, it was like, what is that? <laughs> that is not that is out of tune, or like that's fucked up, or something. And you know, she's a, like a wonderfully lovely, amazing person, and did her best. Um, but I think mm, in the more recent years, and especially like I uh, just did you, I don't know if you saw this, but I I have uh, my pictures on the cover of a magazine. <laughs> did you see that? <laughs> Um, yeah, I feel like when I see that, my very first thought is, oh my gosh, my mom will be so proud. And uh, I spent some time playing with Feist as well in her touring band, and that was so much fun and amazing, and I'm such a huge fan of her. Um, and it was another moment where my mom was like, oh, my friends have heard of this band. <laughs> like, this is, this is something. Um, but, so yeah, there's a video that's coming up for Enduring Oceans, which is the first time I've ever done a video that I'm in. Um, so it's, and I made it with Eve Parker Finley as well and Stacy Lee and we share this, the three of us share this loft along with some other fabulous weirdos. And uh, we made it here and we actually got like a video budget grant, Calc, thank you very much Calc for it. Um, and it's really cool. And I look forward to you seeing it because it really suits the song, I think. and. They, they made me feel brave enough to show up in a video, which I thought it was time. I just didn't know how to do it. So, but it's really fun to watch actually. I can't be on the record saying anything. What's that sound? Hey, wanna hear the most annoying sound in the world? Proposition sounds intriguing. Proposition sounds very attractive. I tell you it's a thoroughly sound proposition. Seems a sound proposition what brought you here. Sound is the protagonist. is Avril Lavigne. I'm, uh, <laughs> uh, I'm Jessica Moss. So I've just released a new LP named Galaxy Heart. Phosphines and Galaxy Heart were actually, I made them at the same time. So I, I uh, took the opportunity of our delightful Montreal endless, I'm saying take the opportunity, but 
we were all forced into our homes and we weren't allowed to leave. And so I was take the opportunity of having this, our endless lockdown and curfew situation, as well as um, the CRB benefit, which was like the most stable income I've ever had as an adult. <laughs> um, and um, I just sort of went into a place where that I had never been before, which was um, uh, like making music without knowing what for. Like I was just, it was the it was the place I wanted to be the most, which was, was being in this environment of of making and creating. And at the time, it wasn't clear whether this was the end of the world, whether like anyone would ever play a show again, whether. Uh, you know, like it just, nothing was known. And at the same time, what I didn't know if I would, if this music would make it onto a record, if there was going to be such a thing as a label, like it just, everything was so gone. All of our markers were gone. And, um, and on top of that, I think probably we all share some kind of situation of either being fully isolated or being fully not never isolated because you're living with people. I mean, saw them every minute of every day. I was more in the second one, so I sort of escaped into this world. And because I, uh, in previous, for previous albums, um, like starting with the very first one, I, I sort of, I, I've been making records for my whole life as an adult. And so I have there, I've built in like, this one side of an LP is exactly this long and you cannot go over or you can't compose anything that doesn't fit there or, you know, so I've had these constraints, uh, which is helpful in a lot of ways because who knows, um, but also uh, in some ways I, I, I realized that it had also been limiting. So I guess that I was more um, adventurous and I let experimentation happen in ways that I, I sort of had inside of me, but never felt safe or, or like I owned this type of sound, um, like guitar playing. I never put guitar playing on a record, even though I love playing guitar, I'm not a guitar player, quote unquote. So it just wouldn't occur to me that that could be a thing. And so I just sort of threw it all away. Um, and I ended up making not just Phosphines and Galaxy Heart, but even more. Like I just went bananas and uh, I actually, I drove myself pretty nuts actually but um so the the separation of the albums was actually i i thought um that i would maybe put out a double record when it came down to it and constellation on a practical level um told me that that was not a possibility and i and i understood even though it was it was really hard for me at the time all the pieces fit together in a certain way and it was hard to imagine them being separated by by temporarily you know but they wouldn't sort of live in the same moment um but I, it, they helped me a lot, Ian especially helped me a lot sort of to, decide, to decipher what could make up one LP and what could make up the other. And it was actually partially his guidance that brought what you hear. The difference in that you hear is that there, there is two sort of different styles of composition. Um, it was just really hard for me to hear it because I don't, when I'm engaged with music making, I really am like on another planet really so so i needed a, some like after i needed some intervention to help me through that moment and they they gave it to me and gave it to me
So that is, the truth is that they came at the same time, but also in retrospect, yes, what you're hearing is absolutely true. And there is a, another level of uh, a different type of plane. And it definitely came from just abandoning, um, abandoning what I thought needed to be needed to be certain ways that's the first time i've ever had anyone else play on a jessica moss record so i think after after the like brutal version of the isolation and as soon as it seemed possible i guess i felt like i really was ready i was really ready to not be alone with this stuff anymore and so i invited two of my all-time favorite musicians to participate and i was very glad, lucky and glad that both agreed and uh, it's very exciting. And I can't wait to do maybe more of that one day. But on this record too, I had let my guitar in there. I had, my, uh, my sister has like a old, um, you know, the, you know, organs, like old fashioned organs, where you could, like press bo bossa nova or whatever. So my sister has like this box that is just the drum machine of an organ. And I was fucking around with that. And uh, really? Yeah. Yes. I, I just sent it through my pedal board and was like, what? I can, I can do everything, anything. Like I'm by myself in the universe in these moments. Um, so having sort of bringing these pieces to completion the one thing i knew for sure is that i did not want to pretend with bass anymore like i wanted real bass if of, if i had one choice of all things that would be the one thing that i would do and uh so he worked with me quite a lot and came into a few different sessions and uh and then jim the drummer um i've worked with him on and off over the years i adore him um and he's like one of those musicians, musicians um, types. And so whenever you meet someone who also knows Jim White, it's just like a, it's like an immediate connection. And I knew that he was stuck in Mel in Australia, I think Melbourne, yeah, um, for the pandemic, because he ended up having to fly there because one of his parents was ill and then stuck, as we all know. Um, so I thought if ever there's a moment where he might be able to just do this, this is the moment. And so I I got in touch and he was very sweetly uh, into giving it a shot and everything he played is the best thing in the world for me. Um, so yeah, so that's how. I think like uh, I play the violin and almost um, it, it was not my initially it was that was not my instrument of choice. It was my mother's instrument of choice. So I started playing when I was 
little, five years old. And uh, at the beginning, the intention, I think, the family intention was that I would actually be a real violin player. Like, a, you know, I, 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 we listened to classical music a lot when I was a kid and I loved it so much. And I took very much to the music of violin make, of playing, but I um, really had a difficult time taking to the theory end of it. And so by the time I was like an early teenager, people that like my peers were moving on to being more and more serious about playing classical music. And I was moving into a place of like not being able to uh, go there just for a bunch of different reasons. And at a certain point, my mom was kind of just like, Fuck, fine, <laughs> just quit. Because it just practicing was such a difficult thing to make me do. And it was, it became quite negative between us. And I suppose that I lasted with it long enough to have fallen in love with the ability to make, to play music. So I never gave it up, but I did give up my mom's dream of the classical version of myself. But I also never gave up the love of that music. So. Uh, this is a very long-winded way of telling you how collaborations came about because what I think what I'm saying is I play the violin, but I think I, I like feel music more uh, as a bass player almost. I, lo I love the bass realm and I love the bass strings and um, Thierry, who I play, I've been playing bands with since 2000. First time, the first we started a, a Jewish band together called Black Ox, and then we were in Several Mount Zion together. And so, and his playing and his also his journey of playing is, um, is something I've been part of from the beginning. And um, I feel like when I'm in the presence of his bass playing, I feel something like at home somehow. It's like a, a bit, um, I'm speaking of it in a kind of romantic way, but it is a little bit. It's like it doesn't, it's not a, it's not something I could otherwise describe because it's a relationship with his actual playing, you know? Um, and I knew by the music I was making that even though up until then, and also a lot on the records, I sort of managed to cover all of the sonic universe that I want to access with what I am capable of on my own. Sometimes if I can't play an instrument that sounds like what I want to sound it, I'll just hum the melody and then fuck with the vocals so much that it ends up sounding like something else. And I can do that with my violin. I can make it sound like so many different things. Um, in fact, it is true. We did um, by hook and crook and beautiful coincidence and sort of like romantic cosmic timing um, after many, many years of being out of touch and being separated geographically, we did end up uh, together on a Zoom call at the summer, pandemic summer number one in 2020. We got approached by a journalist who was interested in finding out whatever happened to us, actually. Um, and for and the idea was to put something in a print magazine called Jewish Currents, which is like a super lefty, super amazing uh, magazine out of New York. 
Um, so it was the occasion that brought the four of us together for a conversation. And um, there were there had been times here and there over the the years before where that could have happened, but didn't happen. And I think that, I guess that to, collectively we needed this pause moment to make that possible since we all live really pretty nuts lives and busyness. Um, anyway, so we got together to have this conversation and very long and cute and beautiful and difficult story to make it short. We did record a record this year and we are putting it up. First of all, Black Ox was formed uh, around like a desire to explore Jewish music um, as we were four people who, as mentioned, were in many different bands and were playing in like punk bands and rock bands and jazz and all this stuff. And um, I, I guess initiated actually by Scott and by Gabe um, to on so, like to, to gather some musicians from that world that also could have this relationship with Judaism one way or another, complicated, not co like, you know, I, I, I'm trying to think of the right way. It was like an opening for an opening of a part of me that, that was very strong and had as, up until then been very internal. Um, and you know that's the music of my ancestors and of my family and we grew up jewish my family although very not religious jewish but traditionally and ritualistically jewish um and it was something that i identified strongly with and yet was sort of hadn't found an outlet where i felt like myself and safe to explore until black ox and i still feel that way and i still feel like so that project, even as it was on ice for as long as it needed to be, I was like, hold it very, very dear to my heart. And in fact, the early records we made were were two of the, like I, I going back to the, I've been making records my whole life. Those were two records that I could always listen to, that I could always feel proud of. And, and um, it's not so easy for me to go back and listen to things that I've been part of in the past always, but with that I felt, I feel... Within the band we have like some very, very academic and brilliant people. Um, when I'm talking about Scott and Gabe, and then we have like two, uh, the two, the other two of us who have been, have never stopped engaging with the world of music and travel and work and music being labor, our, our jobs. And it's like a kind of incredibly beautiful, um, it's that where the four of us meet now is, is really exciting. I'm really excited about it. Unfortunately, the reality of our lives is such that, like if I had my way, we, you know, we do like tons of touring, we'd spend all this time together, but 
that's not the lives we live. We live lives where we're going to have to pick our hours, not even just our weeks, but our hours of time where we can actually spend. Since bands were able to go on tour, it's been really intensely difficult actually to find a way to everyone need everyone needs to get back to work and it's hard for everybody. So I'm about to go on one. I'm about to go on two. I leave in a week for the first and then I've had some a few weeks off and then I, I leave again. I basically my touring schedule has been in the brackets of the Godspeed touring schedule because um, my child's other parent is in Godspeed, so we um, we have to, the calendar is fucking complicated. I'm feeling more ready for this one. I guess it's my third outing since, and uh, I have to say that the first one I found very like emotionally difficult um, for so many reasons. And it was a bit hard to handle the uh, the lonely feeling of it in a way um since i've been playing solo i'm like i do spend a huge amount of time working on my own and traveling on my own and i don't always travel on my own anymore but it's it was something like getting back up on stage after that rift felt um scary actually more scary than than i can think than i can i Think of, I mean, when I first started playing solo, I was fucking terrified every time I would go on stage, but that was different. I was terrified because I was inexperienced and I needed to be terrified to like show me, show me how much work it takes to do well up there when you're on your own. Uh, but this time I felt like I had, I was coming back to something that was supposed to be the place I felt most comfortable. And I, I was, it's like I had lost my comfort and I didn't feel good about being in rooms of people gathering, not just because of worrying about illness for myself, but also just worrying about for everybody. Like, is it even okay? You know, this is last November, so almost a year ago. And then, um, and then since then it's sort of been increasingly okay and I will see like maybe that maybe this time will feel more normal. I don't know. So it's very hard to imagine. Everything feels everything feels more difficult because everyone feels like they're having a more difficult time. So it feels more intense in some ways. It is actually and it's nice to talk about it a bit because I mean it just I, I battle within myself feelings of like being so feeling so unbelievably lucky to be doing what I'm doing that it's I, it's hard actually to let the, the other feelings inside of like, oh, this is really actually hard and scary. And I don't like to talk about it very much because um, I don't feel like I, I always think of there's so many people that would wish to be and or aren't able to for so many reasons and so i feel like well i am able to and it is what i want to do um and it also is yeah i don't feel that neither do i have like the same kind of stamina maybe it's because the feeling of worry takes a lot of energy 
And so there's so much more of it, uh, maybe because the feeling of instability is so present and that also takes a lot of energy dealing with last minute changes or like, you know, at any moment, anything could happen, not just pandemic wise, but also just the state of the world and the state of everything it just it feels like um, asking a lot to, to make this a smooth journey. So I don't expect a smooth journey. And so there's a lot of worry. That makes sense. I, I can, I definitely, some some shows definitely feel that way where I just, you know, I feel like, okay, we all want to cry together. Like, <laughs> what the hell? It's so crazy. And then at other times I, I feel the, I guess the part that I have a harder time with is when I feel the opposite of like, it's, it's not a, like, it's a bit of a desperate situation for everybody. And so I put more pressure on myself in a way to make the experience of actually going out and spending money on seeing a live event that it's gotta be, um, it's gotta be really cared for by the performer. And so I take that pressure on for sure. And um, also knowing that because of like this backlog of fans and musicians needing to work that there's just like a steady stream also of shows coming through the venues that manage to stay open and so it's hard to also feel like it's a bit of a cattle run more than it used to be and i don't think that's particularly good for anybody that's involved um so yeah it can it can feel that way but i definitely like to hear about what it's like to be at shows because I'm, I'm curious, you know, like I have a very unique perspective from that side of the stage. So I hope it's a good thing. I hope it's beautiful. I hope to be out and amongst people and seeing music, I hope so. Performed by myself, <laughs> yeah. Actually, the 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 very the very beginning of me playing solo started before the band went on hiatus, um, and it started because a very dear friend and amazing musician, Kevin Doria, um, who at the time was playing in a band called Growing, and he also performed solo um, as under the moniker Total Life. And he came on tour with us a bunch of times um, as our opener and all around best guy. Um, he's from the West Coast, but um, he, <laughs> the drone that he, the drones that he made as Total Life were like a bit um, like mind altering and opening for me. There was something about the way he produced a kind of drone that I, I was like, I would just, it, it took me, uh, it swept me up somehow. And as well as being him being such a dear friend that I kind of for the first time actually, um, like side note, I was like, would you ever want to do something together? I, I could hear in those drones what I would, what I could do. And I, and I didn't 
make a habit of doing that at all, especially because I had so many bands and I was all, always working with other people. I didn't have a, like a need at the time anyway to add, but I, I felt really moved and inspired by what he did. So me playing solo started with him actually, was he'd be at home and um, he'd send me these beautiful drones and I would put them in headphones and kind of for the first time ever went into a, our jam space by myself with all my pedals and set up and amps and started with the intention of joining what he was making. And it was, it was like a key in the door that I didn't even know there was a door, um, but it unlocked and swung open. And all of a sudden I found that uh, I had all of these like expressions inside that I hadn't yet accessed in the context of band making and that I found like all of a sudden I, I very sort of quickly started building this kind of narrative piece um, and I was completely swept away by how much I loved doing it and I so I played my first solo show just before actually before Mount Zion went on hiatus and then I had sort of had built this this outline of a bed to Lion. <laughs> so I just kept adding and I guess I've never stopped. And so that is how I started playing by myself was there's still recordings of Kevin and I that I think are really beautiful. But on a practical level, I just realized that this is that I could do something and then I couldn't stop. Very quickly, I was unable to stop. <laughs> so <laughs> that's how. Silver Mount Zion Memorial Orchestra and Tra-La-La Band performing in the WNYC studio. I'm David Garland. This is Spinning On Air. And this band is here from Montreal, Canada, performing some of their songs for us. dark clouds and a harsh raking wind and that battle staggers through three awful months there to stop for a minute to start up again We're the Tra-La-La Band. Well, Tra-La-La is sort of a phrase that I think of as, as a little bit of a shrug. But you guys don't seem to be the type of people who shrug. Um, yeah, uh, we shrug. But, uh, yeah, Tra-La-La, like fa-la-la. I mean, like, uh, you know, like notes on a, 
on some sort of staff. And the river never made it to the lake. So the lake surrendered to the mountain. And the mountain's heart did and break at the sight of and the albums by our ensemble here today under various names but most of them having something or other to do with Silver Mount Zion are on Constellation Records and you can learn more about the releases on that interesting record label based itself up in Montreal, Canada at their website www.cstrecords.com Constellation Records it's cstrecords.com funny story about that moment uh when we were at the radio station and it was kind of a big deal to like go to the station because it's in the top of like a big building we should go through security and like it was just outside of our experience together Uh, and at the time we were a seven like we were the seven piece version of us and uh at some point, somebody from the station said, can we get a photo? And up until that time, we'd been really careful to say, okay, photos, because this was like pre-internet being every, there's a photos of everything all the time and who cares, you know? So we hadn't done this very often of like saying okay to that question. Um, but we said okay, because we felt like, well, we're, and I remember at the time, I think it was Ephraim was like, oh my God. Because we did some like silly pose in the hallway, and he's like, "Just wait, this is this photo is gonna live forever." And <laughs> in fact, it is still the photo that you first one of the first photos you see is like of us being all ridiculous in the hallway, and it was. So yes, I have very fond memories, and that photo will always come back to remind us of being little kids in the WNYC place. Actually, also Scott was the drummer at the time. Scott, who is. And now, as the rejoined Blackhawks, once again, the beautiful voice and songwriter of that band. I think I'll quit to the valley until the light. Well, when I began, like I had over how long? 16 years of playing with Mount Zion by that time and also in partnership with the other violin player in Mount Zion, Sophie Trudeau, who, um, like, together we would we sort of came up with this structural way of playing violin in loud rock bands. And uh, although she had she had a head start because Godspeed was already, was already a year and a half old when Mount Zion started, so um, I definitely learned from her at the beginning. Um, and then, yeah, over time, began playing I think the crucial step was playing with two amps instead of one so that I and and turning my setup into a stereo setup uh, which sort of allowed um, for uh, a depth that I really responded to having at my disposal Um, so actually if I look over at my pedal board the pedal boards um, some of what's on there has always been on there 
Like there are pedals that I started with that I continue to use. And, but there are also many things that I slowly but surely, mostly through borrowing other people's stuff and trying it. And um, I kind of, from the very, from very early on went with the, with the, um, not rule, it's not the right word, but I sort of set myself up so that I wasn't that I was just going to buy pedals I thought they were cool and then see if I could how I would use them but more like I would be composing or or making up stuff and then if I encountered something that I wanted to do that I couldn't yet do then I would start looking for something to add to my board and so it's been a very very slow process of building and I usually end up buying a pedal maybe once a year um, because I have something compositionally I'm unable to Ha uh, express without this another sound or something. Um, so I'll just show you because it's right. I just happen to have just been practicing. So here's my my current setup. Um, <laughs> this is this is the pedal I bought this year. You can see it still has the pit, the plastic on it because I'm like so not sure that I can spend that much money on a pedal, but it's unfortunately it's staying. Um, anyway. Um, yeah, so yes, yeah, so a very slow process um, led by need, not led by by decision in advance, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, and also, the, I, of course, it was all the collaborations and all the work I had done with everyone else leading up that, that sort of had opened sonic doors. And then the final door that got opened, the one that I hadn't known was there, was the... I guess a compositional door now, if I in retrospect. Um, but at the time, it more felt like a, an expression door. Like I can talk about what's going on in my head with this instrument of mine, and if I'm doing it by myself, then I then I'm the storyteller. Not that I'm not I'm not adding color. Like we're not. It's not a collective storytelling. It's I'm I'm the actual the one. And um, I think I really thrived on being able to do that because I don't feel particularly confident with using language. Sometimes I have a hard time using it at all. Um, and so I found it very freeing to be able to, to I just sort of very quickly, um, it, it's narrative in my head. There's stories and scenes and it's visual and there's like a lot going on inside my brain to make this happen and then it's like a weird process of then going back and realizing okay it's music <laughs> and then this is how will I perfect it so that it actually really tells the story to me anyway that I mean to be telling. Yes, definitely. I actually, there is one pedal I can say that about. Um, I have a, I have a replica of it on my board now, but there is, I, when I was, let's say, maybe 19 years old, um, one of my dearest friends at the time, um, also a musician in Montreal, he lives in Toronto now, named Kurt Newman, lent me this pedal that transformed my life. And it is, it's right here, actually. covered in dust now but uh it's this digitech whammy wah this is the first wh1 the very first version of it is now one of those pedals that's like stupid expensive on the internet but um i don't think that i have ever played a show 
without this for 15 years and now the replica that's on my current board because I got too scared about starting traveling with this one at a certain point. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that guy, because it's the first time that I was able to play it with octaves and like move the tone around. And there's something about the way that it doesn't track very perfectly that sort of adds these artifacts that I think have become part of my compositional um, toolbox or whatever you could say. And uh, so, yeah, that guy, <laughs> that guy. Oh, I was just thinking, going back to you saying that you couldn't find any um, information about the theater company that David Scott were part of, and that's because when our band existed the first time around, it was basically pre-internet. So we didn't have access to everything, and Blackhawks found our songs by going to the music library and like listening to old dubbed cassettes and stuff like that. Like it wasn't, you didn't just go and get anything ever, always, all the time. <laughs> Um, so maybe that's also part of why I have like a, a an, an in-control version of gear stuff is that I, I only, my relationship is with actually trying and needing something and never being suggested or thinking that something is cool and then I should get it. Although <laughs> I had a funny conversation recently with a friend about how, because I did just buy a reverb pedal. It's the first time I've ever bought a reverb pedal. And I had to like really know which one I was going to go get. And so you have to 
do, you have to watch people do fucking guitar demos. That's the only way to know what a pedal can do. And I was thinking it's a funny part of my job sometimes that I have to like lie in bed for hours and watch YouTube videos with like, oh, it's so horrific, but it's the only way to know. <laughs> I wish sometimes there was such a thing as a pedal library, like you could rent, a, rent pedals. I wish that was the case, but anyway, it's not. There really should be. You just mentioned a bunch of my very favorite people on the planet, so now I'm smiling. And um, yes, the working with Big Chestnut was a transformative experience in every way. He was a brilliant person and um, one of the funniest people I've ever been around. And for me, that's pretty high up there with like holiness, you know? Like the kind of people that are are just so aware and keen and listening and like will pull out like the fucking funniest dirty joke at the best possible moment and he was a force of nature and working with him was like i said definitely transformative definitely um opened many portals to working with other people that i love and um jem had been a friend, well, Jem worked with Godspeed in the very early iterations. And so at the time, Ephraim and I, he introduced me to Jem early, early on as a dear friend and we would spend time with him in New York. And so it started out as a friend and then slowly but surely turned into a working relationship where I, um, he invited me to play on various, with various incredible projects. And then he was the one who set up the first big recording. Uh, because they were, they had been best friends. He, Guy, and Vic were had been friends since forever. Um, and it was Jem's idea actually to gather this band because he he felt like it, there was music to be made in that combination. And boy, was he right! And so yeah, we did some incredibly like beautiful and fulfilling tours together and made two records and I am extremely, it's just one of like, what's one of the highlights of my life, I would say, is that time with him and who he was and what it, what it meant in those records also. Yeah, definitely. It's okay, 
can be saved and it's okay you can be forgiven and for now keep on a rough place, things aren't going the way we might like, but we've got to try to be beautiful and strong. Or is beauty and strength just a dream? That's a, that's a big question. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean... Would you say that Montreal has been a good nurturing ground for, for this group and for other projects of yours? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. I don't think we would have been able to continue doing what it is that we do within this group and outside this group. I mean, the whole messy, tangled web of it, I don't think would have been possible without the uh, geographic happenstance that ended up with us all being in the same city. Mm -hmm. So it's more just the fact that you all were able to come together there than, than some circumstance of, of life in that city that makes it possible. Yeah, I, it, would be a, it would be a long process to parse out Mm -hmm. uh, the ways in which Montreal has managed to sustain a thriving cultural, for lack of a better word, community um, over the course of a whole mess of years. Mm -hmm. So it would be a long story. Mm -hmm. But um, it's not the weather, that's for sure. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
series Corona Borealis yeah um uh they yeah they you know in trying to figure out ways to be some kind of active and somewhat supportive of their roster who all of us grounded and unable to work um came up with this series and it was a, a commission type series so they had a little bit of money to um to offer um for like a sort of a piece with no boundaries also like not a record piece just a piece of music and um so they it was they approached and asked if i wanted to do one and i definitely did and i had this piece of music that i had as many things with me sometimes i will have a melody for years or i'll save something on a loop pedal and i'll listen to it every once in a while and be like hmm that's going to that's going to find its way in one day so this is this is one of those cases is that something i had sort of as an improvisation had recorded and all of a sudden i was like i need i want that to be it and uh even though i'm a video maker myself i also um at the time i i just thought i could ask jim because he is a dear friend and he's also not working and what would happen and the piece itself has also has Jewish themes and that's something Jim and I have you know shared and discussed and um and he did something brilliant as you said and uh it's the first time I ever had somebody else make visual have a visual experience with music I've made and it was thrilling and beautiful and I loved working on that with him and I loved yeah I loved everything that came from that and um we'll see more gem cohen videos in the future um via constellation and this maybe this next record and um yeah he's just somebody i'm really happy to have in the like
That's so cool. Thank you for, for being persistent and patient. Very, two extremely appreciated qualities for me. Holy moly. It's been uh, ridiculous. Yeah.